0: Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org.
1: We we just appreciate so much uh, your presence with us and being able to gather uh, this morning. I want to make sure this is on your radar screen, please. Um, Next Sunday at 4 p.m., we are going to get to do something I have never done before. And that is participate in a Passover Seder on Zoom. Now, you're invited. Everybody's invited. There's details on our website about what you need to prepare because it's actually a participatory event. You need to have some food prep done, ready at a table with you. Um, We need your email to make sure you get the link. So if you don't think we have your email, in fact, if you haven't already received a link to this like a week or two ago, um, we're going to send out another one this week. So make sure we have your email in the church office. Maybe call or email office at riverbluff.org and give us your email so we can get that out. It's probably going to go out Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, So uh, we want to make sure that you have access to that link to get on into that Zoom meeting. It's going to be, I think, a great way to kind of launch what we call Holy Week, that, that Passion Week of Jesus leading up to the celebration of the resurrection that we can't wait to, to get to. Uh, but I think it'll make it more meaningful. Um, this morning, I want to begin our, our time in God's Word by giving you a, a self exe- uh, self-assessment exam, okay? This is not an opportunity for you to assess me, this is an opportunity for you to assess yourself and where you're at at a certain place in life as it relates to heaven, Okay. Just some thoughts about heaven. And so you can only choose one, can't? It's not you can't choose 5 or 6 or anything like that. I'm only going to give you four. But when you think of yourself these days, are you most likely to identify yourself as A when it comes to heaven? You're skeptical when somebody talks about heaven. Do you think of yourself as a skeptic? Or B, do you think of yourself as someone I believe there's a heaven, but I'm not really sure how anybody gets in? Or C, I'm a Christian, and I'm just waiting to get in, just waiting to get in. Or D, here's the last one. I'll read back through them again. D, I'm a disciple of Jesus, and now I'm wanting to get more of heaven into my life. Back through them. You're a skeptic, A. B, you believe there's a heaven, not sure how anybody gets there. C, I'm a Christian waiting to get into heaven. Or D, I'm a disciple of Jesus, and I'm wanting to get more of heaven into me. See, Jesus gives to anyone who would this invitation, follow me, he says. Be my disciple, Jesus says. And for Jesus, that means you would be willing to arrange your life To become more like him, he would be your leader and your Lord. We have a a working definition around here of what a disciple is. A disciple of Jesus is someone who is devoted to Jesus and seeks to make each day a chance to be with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, how to live the up-in-and-out life of Jesus. There will be a quiz on that later, so make sure you all that. That that just kind of hangs out around here. You'll see it more and more as we talk about it in the days ahead. But what Jesus was looking for as he walked this earth, he was looking for disciples and he was looking for disciples who would make disciples. And that's why what we know is the great commission at the end of Matthew chapter 28 uh, is, is Jesus saying, go into all the world and make disciples. It was his great commission. You make more disciples for me. It's on the heart of Jesus. Even when Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray. Think about what he, he told them to pray. He didn't say, um, now when you pray, begin this way. Our Father who art in heaven, show us how to get there quickly. It's not what he prayed. He said, our Father who art in heaven, how to be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on this earth like it is up there. He, he, he's saying disciples need to be praying and asking, God, would you please be, bring what's up there down here? Don't get so worried about getting up there. Think about how do we get what's up there down here in, in our lives. That's what Jesus said our prayer focus really needs to be. That maybe you remember in John 10.10, John 10, Jesus talked about this abundant life. And it, See, God has a plan. Jesus has this plan for your life to flourish. Even in a hostile environment like the planet we're on, in a world that seems like it's gone completely mad some days. And it's interesting to me that in Jesus' teaching, he gives us only one way to get to heaven. John 14, 6 is an illustration of that. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father who's in heaven but through me. There's only one way to heaven. But it's also interesting to me that throughout God's word, there are lots of ways to get heaven into us. One way to get to heaven, but lots of ways to get heaven into us. And these are referred to normally in our culture, uh, in in Christian circles, as like spiritual disciplines or uh, disciplines of grace or spiritual practices. These days, most of the time, I just call them grace ways. They're just ways to access the grace of God, to appropriate the grace of God. These spiritual practices that help us access and appropriate the grace of God so we, we can flourish in, in his grace. Now, it, when I'm trying to describe what these look like and their purpose to someone for the very first time, my favorite illustration is this image. It's a sailboat. Now, one of the things that's true about this sailboat, and really any, any sailboat, is they usually have multiple sails. And, and this particular one has a mainsail, a headsail, and a ginwickler. Now, those are are just three types of sails. There are more kinds of sails. Good sailors know about uh, what each sail does, and they usually have even more uh, types of sails available to them because what they're wanting to do is capture all of the wind that's blowing so that they could take that journey, so that their their, their journey can flourish as they're sailing on the sea. Well, the truth about uh, anyone who would want to be a disciple of Jesus, and we want to see their life truly flourish, is they need, they need sails that capture the blowing grace of God. God is always sending His grace. As the Bible talks about their, uh, uh, God's grace is grace upon grace, just lots of grace available to us. And so we have to have these practices, these sails, if you would, to catch the grace that God is blowing into our lives so that we can move along this life of flourishing that He has planned for us. Some of you who have been hanging out here for a while know of a mnemonic device that we've used for years around here that help us think about six of these practices of flourishing. And they're all related to the very word of God. And we just use our hand and say, we need to hear God's word. We need to read God's word, we need to study God's word. We need to memorize God's word. We need to meditate on God's word. We need to do God's word. Those are six practices related to the word of God that help our lives flourish. But there are there are more practices. Uh, there are there sometimes they get categorized. Some, one category, uh, category of practices is the, 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 what, what some people call the, the category of abstinence practices. And these are things like solitude and fasting and, and silence and submission. Apparently, that plane doesn't know about silence. I don 't know what, what the deal is with it. But then there, there, those are practices, if you would, of, of abstinence, uh, Sabbath taking a rest. It's a practice of abstinence that leads to flourishing life. There are practices of engagement. We just mentioned six of them through the word of God. But there's also the practice of worship. Habit of gathering in worship to fill our souls. The habit and practice of prayer. There's biblical community that is a practice to, to help us grow. There's things like serving. There's the, the habit, D- Dean mentioned it earlier, the habit of, of biblical tithing. And all of these practices intend to lead us into growth in the grace of our Lord to become more like Jesus and, and flourish in the kingdom of God even in a hostile environment. And so, for instance, uh, the, the habit of, of tithing. Some people think, well, what's that, what's that about? What's this habit of giving 10% of your income to God? The Bible tells us that it's to help us become like God. Because he's a great giver. The purpose is so that our life would flourish. And so in Malachi chapter 3, we, we read these words. Uh, it says this, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. God says, try me, test me in this. It's a practice of a life that wants to to flourish. And we have a lot of people around here who can stand and give you testimony of how when they began to tithe, they began to see new aspects of their spiritual life flourish by the grace of God. And there are many practices outlined in the Word of God. Many practices that that we can engage. Now, if you joined with us last week, we introduced this, this new tool that's coming to the river. It's going to launch kind of shortly after Easter, and it's called the growth plan. Last week I did a brief interview uh, with Cindy Shirley. She's been working to kind of re-engineer this tool specifically to be used here, here at River Bluff. Uh, and Cindy told us that one of the key components to the growth plan is going to be these practices. These engagements, these disciplines of grace that we can, we can step into. Now, I'm going to ask Cindy uh, if she and Karen Frank would begin heading up here, ma- mask up and, and head up here, because I've asked them to share a little bit about a journey that they took um, about around the growth plan. Uh, a few, uh, well, several months back, they launched a pilot project. Cindy did. Invited some people in to kind of test drive, if you would, The growth plan. Now, the purpose of this test drive was to get it ready for you. We want to work out the bugs and the kinks and all those kinds of things to get the growth plan ready for you. Well, one of the guinea pigs in the growth plan was our dear sister Karen. She stepped in and said, yeah, I'll do that. So I've asked Cindy if she would interview Karen a little bit about what that journey was like for Karen. Ladies, thank you. Y'all welcome welcome them. Thank you very
0: much. Thanks for letting us be here today. You know, one of the things that I really love about the growth plan is that once you say yes, you want to grow everything that comes out of that through that process comes out of prayer. And so the very first thing that you do is you pray about how the Lord wants you to grow. And the second thing you do is who does God want you to grow with? And And I think I told you last week that there were two names that I heard. One was Kim, my friend Kim, and then the other one was Karen. And this is my friend Karen. I want you to know that my Karen, this Karen, is not like the Karen that you've all been hearing about and seeing in memes. Nothing like that. My Karen is very rooted in Christ and loves the Lord, and we've done lots of Bible studies together and been in groups together over about the last 13 years, and I consider her to be one of those people who really wants to grow in her relationship with the Lord, and so when God brought her name to mind, for me there was an excitement because I hadn't been connected with her in group in a while, And um, I was really excited about the opportunity, and so I gave her a call, and I said, hey, Karen, I I said, I want you to pray about something. And she, in fact, said, I will pray about it, but I could tell that she was a little hesitant. Am I right?
2: Yes. Yeah.
0: So she was a little hesitant, but she did pray about it, and shortly after that, she gave me a call back, and she said...
2: I agreed that I would do it because after prayer, I knew that this probably didn't come exactly from Cindy herself, but this was God reaching out to me because he was telling me that he had something for me in this journey.
0: Yeah, and that's what I love about the growth plan again. um, I heard from God that I was to invite her, and she heard from God that she was supposed to participate, and I love the fact that she heard that God had something for her because that's what the growth plan is all about. It's all about us hearing from the Lord and responding to the Lord and learning something new about Him or ourselves and overcoming our own thoughts uh, about what having a relationship with Christ is like and living more authentically in relationship with Him in one certain area. And so what what we basically do is we have uh, 13 attributes that we uh, have determined here at River Bluff uh, are what makes kind of defines what a disciple is. And so after you do that, the inventory that helps you to, to look at that, you pray through those. And uh, while we were doing that, it was interesting because we had four people in our group. Two of them came in and said, well, actually three of you guys came in initially and said that they felt like the Lord was leading them to do being a disciple and, be, and discipling other people um, and I was doing something different. Uh, and and then, Karen, you came back after having prayed through it some more and looked through the resources that she would use, and you told me that you felt like there was something else you were supposed to do. Tell us what that was.
2: I think that um, God laid on my heart that I needed to focus on my identity in Christ. So that's, once again, I think just agreed that I would follow that prompting, and still I had a, a sense that, that he had something for me in, in this walk that I was going to take.
0: And you know, it was really interesting because when she came back and she told us that she really felt like that was what she was supposed to do, that she was hearing that from the Lord, I was like, that is awesome. Because when I asked her if she wanted to be in the group, one of the things that she told me was that she was a little bit hesitant. And part of that reason was because just basically in doing groups, she felt like oftentimes she didn't hear from the Lord the same way that other people did. Talk about yes. that for a second. Well,
2: yes, I, I grew up in a Christian home. I learned from a very young age through the models of my parents and my grandparents. I never, I always, from a young age, believed that there was God, that there was a God, and I studied his word, and I did small groups, I did Bible studies, but I also recognized that somewhere along our growth in life, we can develop false beliefs. What God showed me through this in my searching for my identity was um that I was striving more for perfection, more to get everything right before I could really come into a a loving relationship with God. And that was a hindrance to me. And also I realized, oh in a small group, I'm gonna have to admit that to other people that that Not my, getting it that, all right all the that time. That there was a little <laughs> bit of a struggle in
0: my walk. Yeah. So, so, uh, so she was hesitant to do that. She felt like other people were heard from the Lord more easily, and yes. she wasn't getting it all right. And so we set out in the growth group, and I watched just this series of things happen for Karen as she engaged with Scripture, as she sought to journal because that was one of the things yes. that she tried to incorporate into her. Her walk and as she read some resources on identity in Christ, I watched this transformation happen and it, it just seemed like there was just one thing after another after another that happened for Karen that all added up to kind of just a whole heart transformation for her in her understanding of the Lord and his relationship with her.
2: Yes, God used that time that I that I devoted at that, you know, to daily medication, Meditation and to focus on what his words said about me. And he began to just like unpeel layers and layers. He would show me one thing, and suddenly I understood that concept. And then he would bring something else to me. And I just my faith in him just grew in a way that I couldn't even really explain. And I just, and I know it is because of who he is and what he wanted to do in my life at at, at this time in my life.
0: So it was just this amazing process with Karen and for Karen and in our group, and she got to share it with everybody else in the group as we went along. And I know that every time that we came together, it was like the Lord was just teaching you something new, and we loved seeing that. Um, Karen, if you were going to tell these folks why they should do the growth plan, what would you tell them?
2: Because I now have a conviction that he created us all differently and that he is going to commune with us in a way that he's designed for us. Part of me was I had to figure that out and um, I know that he, his intention for us is for all of us to continue to grow. We are never going to arrive at some set point that we've come up with in our own minds.
0: Yeah, that growth is a journey, it's a process, and God always wants us to grow closer to Him. And He has new things to teach us. I love the fact that kind of in this process, what you learned was that uh, I'm always going to be growing, so I don't Mm -hmm. have to measure up, I don't have to get it right, because God is always growing and changing me out of His love for me.
2: It relieved a great a burden, a pressure that I carried, you know, and because it was focused on me and what I had to do. And God really taught me through this that it has already been done. I just had to accept that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so one of the interesting parts of all of this for Karen is that I think it was the very last experience that we had together in community was in a class that we had uh, based on a book by Jim Simbola called Spirit Rising. And in that time, you were about to go into surgery. Mm -hmm. And so the entire class prayed over Karen. And after we prayed over her, somebody came to Karen and this is what they said. Someone had just
2: kind of just said to me, I feel that God has some promises for you. And I want to tell you what they are. She said, I believe he is going to give you a supernatural recovery in this surgery. She also told me that my heart would experience healing and that I would begin to know God's presence and that sometime other people are going to be touched by my journey. And what I really discovered through all of this is those promises were spoken to me over five years ago but it's through this growth journey that i recognize that it is all coming to fruition
0: yeah that was so amazing and so the reality is is that god has an individual journey for each of us and through a little bit of structure with the growth plan what we found is that we can all walk on that together and see transformation in our lives And we can do that in community even though it's a very unique and individual relationship with him of growth and even have some of his promises to us be fulfilled. And so Karen, thank you so much for being willing to share with us today. And uh, I would just want to encourage you guys, if you are interested in the growth plan you have any questions, feel free to let me know. I'd love to talk more about it. And God gets
2: the glory for this.
0: He does. Absolutely. Thank you. you.
1: you. Karen, especially, this was... This was a challenge for Karen to take this step, and as she's growing in the grace of, uh, of the Lord, we're grateful that you were willing to share that journey with us, Karen. Thank you so much. I want to walk into something that Karen mentioned. Uh, as part of her journey, uh, I told you that Cindy talked about some of the practices that we will engage in the growth plan. There are, there are many. The Bible speaks of many of these. I want to I take just a little bit of time that we have remaining to talk about one of the practices that the Scriptures point out. And so if you have your Bibles, you may want to go ahead and open them up to, to Psalm chapter 1, the first of, of the Psalm. Now, as you're getting there, many of you know that the book of Psalms is a, a prayer book. Uh, for the, uh, those in the Old Testament, uh, the Hebrew people of God, it was their prayer book. It was where they learned to pray. And it's interesting to me that the first chapter of that book is not devoted to prayer. It's devoted to something else. And so I want us to read it together. As we're reading it, I want you to look to see what is the main point of Psalm chapter 1. Look at this with me. Says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the seat of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its seasons, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. But the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Now, the what is the, what I'll call the big idea, the practice, if you would, that Psalm 1 points out? Meditate. Meditate on, on the law of the Lord. Delight in meditating uh, in, in the law of the Lord. Because God has a plan for that. Part of, part of our flourishing is, is this plan that God has. And meditation plays a big part of it. Now, to meditate on God's word, here's something that you're going to have to do. You're not going to hear a preachers tell you this very often. But to meditate really well on the Lord, you're going to have to read it Less. No, let me change that. Not read it less. You're going to have to read less of it. Okay? doesn't mean you're going to read the Bible less times. You're just going to have to read smaller chunks of it. See, sometimes we get the tendency that we just want to rush through the Word of God so that we can check off a box and say, man, I got through the book of Psalms, all 150 chapters. yee That's going to do you no good. It won't do you nearly as much good as slowly, methodically, patiently, pondering, plotting your way in meditating on God's Word. Because as I hope you'll see in a little bit, meditating on God's Word dramatically transforms your spiritual journey. Now, if you noticed when you read the, that, that psalm with me, um, verse 1 is kind of about don't do this, don't, don't do these things. Verse 2 kind of says, hey, do these things. These are good things. And then verses 3 through 6 are really begin to talk about if you do these things, you know, some bad things will happen to you. But if you do these things, some good things will happen to you. What it's trying to show you is how God intends for his people to flourishing by meditating on, on his word. And this isn't the only place in scripture where meditation is talked about. Lots of places. Um, in the life of Joshua. Joshua was uh, became the leader of the nation of Israel upon Moses' death. And at the opening of Joshua chapter 1, God is speaking to Joshua and he speaks to him about this spiritual practice, this, this grace way if you would. Joshua chapter 1 verses 7 and 8. Uh, the Lord says to Joshua, only be strong and very courageous being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left hand that may you may have good success wherever you go he says this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you will be careful to do according to all that is written in it for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success now that's the beginning of his kind of leadership role in the, among the people of Israel on his deathbed One of the very last things that Joshua says to the people of God in Joshua chapter 23 verse 6 is this. He says, therefore, this is Joshua now speaking to the people. Be very strong to keep and to do that which is written in the book of the law of Moses. Turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left hand. He's basically quoting what God said to him. He's quoting that you need to stay connected to the Word of God. You need to have this heart that's meditating on it day and night, not turning to the left or right, keeping it focused, your life focused on it, so that you can step into this flourishing. See, meditating on God, uh, on His Word, on His law, is this key to flourishing, this key to blessedness, the psalmist writes, which is why we need to bring this practice into our lives. And I want to quickly give you three Things that we need. We need to be captured by if we're going to really step into the power of the practice of meditating on the Word of God. Karen referred to it that meditating on what the Bible says about who she is, about her identity in Christ, led to transformation in her life. And so the first thing that we need in order to have meditation just transform us is we need to see God's promise in practice. We need to be able to see as we're practicing this habit of meditating on God's word, this spiritual practice, we need to know about God's promise connected to it. And God promises flourishing for those who will meditate on his word. This is a promise from God, learning to flourish. If you'll look back to to verses 1 through 3, it says, Blessed is the man who will do this. It says, His delight will be in the law of the Lord. If he meditates on his law day and night. Now, he goes on to talk about he's going to be like a tree planted by streams of water that has this great yield, whether it's in season or out of season. It doesn't wither. Now, it's very important, I believe, to be captured by the imagery of Psalm 1 because there's something really interesting happens. If you're going to get to the place, if I can be at the place where we'll delight in meditating on the law of God, the word of God, we need to see the distinction here, because there, there's some sense that um, you know th- there's this image that uh, there's this great big tree that's flourishing, and then there's a little, little scrub bush over here that's not flourishing. But that's not the imagery God uses. He doesn't try to compare big tree, little tree. There are two. It's not degree. See, if it was just simply a big tree and a little tree, then somebody could say, well, it's because those who meditated on the word they worked really, really hard. That's not the deal. God here uses, the psalmist here uses, a comparison between a prospering tree and chaff. Two completely different things. They both have kind of this botanical idea and concept around them. See, chaff is this little kernel, this little shell that kind of holds a, a seed. And eventually, when the, the, the seed begins to fall, this chaff just kind of falls off and is, just, is blown around. Whereas this tree that that God speaks of, of those who meditate on his word, is like this tree. And their their, their roots go way down into these underground streams of of like living water, powerful water. And so they flourish. But the chaff has no purpose. It has no roots. It's just blown away. The tree uh, grows more substantial. It, it it is stable where this chaff is just being blown about by the wind. It has no roots. It has no stability. It has there's nothing substantial about tra- about chaff. If you remember the description and how how Psalm one launches, it says, "Don't don't sit in the council of the wicked. You know, don't 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 get in that council. Don't don't go in the way of sinners. Don't sit in the seat of people who mock. And see our culture." Is filled with people who are mocking the things of God, mocking the very word of God. Our world systems, you know, they think, oh, they're so sophisticated and and, and you know co- connected to the reality. They're always into kind of what's happening now, but eventually it unfolds on itself and it destroys them. It just it, there's just kind of internal self destruction that eventually happens. They're just kind of like dust in the wind. How many of you remember the rock group Kansas? Anybody remember Kansas? Remember one of their great hits was Dust in the Wind? I, I want to read you some of the lines from, from that song. He says, I close my eyes only for a moment. Now well, that moment's gone. All my dreams, they pass before my eyes. It's a curiosity. All we do crumbles to the ground, though we refuse to see. It slips away. All we are is dust in the wind. That's Psalm 1, chaff. That's, that's what that is. No roots, no substance, no stability. Just blown about by whatever circumstance it ends up finding itself. And they never get rooted so they can't flourish in, in life. And see, the promise that God makes in Psalms 1 is this, this idea of flourishing. That he will bring that about. That there is this pathway for those who meditate on the, on the law of the Lord. Even the, getting to the place where they can delight In meditating on the law of the Lord. So first we need to see this promise of God. Second thing we need to see is my part. What is my part in this practice? What role do I play in stepping into this this practice of of appropriating more of God's grace? And right here I want to be really, really practical. When we we read or study God's word, which is another kind of spiritual practice, what what we're focusing on, that's a cognitive moment. We're 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 trying to learn. We're trying to take in more information. We're trying to gain understanding. So it's a very cognitive experience. Now, when we when we pray, you know, so the, kind of kind of the object of study is God's word. When we pray, we're taking our needs to God. Prayer is, is really relational. We're wanting to connect to God. We want, want to connect our heart to God. Our, our, we want to bring God our needs and the needs of other people that we love. And so there's this relational component. And the, the object, really, of prayer is God. That's, that's who the, the, the object is. But when you're meditating on the Word of God... The, the object gets real interesting. Psalm 103 gives us an insight, a glimpse into what meditating on the word of the Lord is like. Look what, what the psalmist writes in Psalm 103. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who is the psalmist talking to in Psalm 103? He's talking to his soul, man. He's talking to the deep parts of his own life. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. All that is within me. He's talking about that. See, when you meditate on the law of God, when you're meditating on the word of God, you want it to infect and affect all aspects of your life. You want it to connect with your emotions. You want to connect with your mind. You want it to connect with your, your will. You want it to connect to all aspects of your life. See, meditation is this bridge, this bridge that moves this cognitive learning about the Word of God uh, into a relation of prayer. There's, but there's got to be this movement of, of, of it being pressed into your life. See, meditating on the word of God is trying to get it to to be fleshed out, just fleshed out in you. In in John chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus told us this about the Holy Spirit that would come. He said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. That's what the Holy Spirit, that's one of his his purposes. He, He comes to comfort, but he also tries to guide, he tries to help you be captured by truth. There's this image that I, I want you to see, it's, this is my understanding, it's an image of, of, of a human life. We are made up of, of body, we're made up of soul, and we're made up of spirit. Now that's a trichotomist uh, opinion. I, I kind of believe this way. There are some people who are dichotomists that basically theologians will tell you that it's, you're just made up of body, soul, spirit, that those are, are two. But in my mind, they're separated. So there, there's a debate about this. It's not a big deal. It's a tertiary kind of theological issue. So don't, don't sweat it. But this is the way I see life, okay? That uh, God has, I have a spirit. I have a soul that's made up of my mind, my emotions, my, my will. And then I have a body that relates to the world. And what the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit speaks to my spirit, convincing me of truth, that this is truth and I need to step into this. And then what my spirit does is it communes with my soul, my, my mind, my emotions, and my will to, to transform me. This is where transformation takes place. It's on the soul level where things begin to change. What, what Karen was talking about, her identity shifted. She began to see herself in light of who God says she is. Not, not the world, not her past experiences, not anything like that, but the, the, the truth of God. So it's fleshing out. It, as she meditated on those, the truths of God, the Holy Spirit came and, and, and pushed those truths in. And, and it begins to flesh out so that it works its way into your soul, your, your mind, emotions, and your will. And then eventually out through your body to interact with the world around you. That's, that's God's plan for transformation. Meditating on the law of the Lord is that bridge that makes that transformation happen. It's, that it's taking that. In, in, the, in Psalm chapter 100, there's a, a passage that often, if you've ever been in a class on prayer, you've probably been exposed to these verses because um, it, it's often used as kind of a tool to help you kind of unlock how you kind of develop a prayer life. And in Psalm 100, verses 4 and 5 says this. We enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. So if you've ever been in a class on prayer, one of the first things that they, you'll be taught is you start your prayer time with praise and thanksgiving. Praise is kind of thanking God for who he is. Thanksgiving is thanking God for what he's done. And so that's how you start your prayer life. Well, when you start praying that way, it's just kind of a tool. It's kind of like, okay, check, I've done the praise and thanksgiving thing. I'll go on to intercession now and then, you know, go on down to confession. Those kinds of things. What happens as you begin to meditate more on the Word of God... Those things that start out as tools become greater realities. They become ingrained in your soul, who you are. You begin to be transformed by, by those, those words, the power of them. And what starts to happen is your prayer life gets switched. Whereas before, you spend you know, a couple of moments you know, trying to come up with something to thank God for and trying to you know, come up with something to praise him for. And then you have this running huge list of God, I need, God, I need, God, I need. Well, as, as meditating on God's word happens in your life, what'll happen is your list starts to get shorter because you start spending so much more time just thanking him, just praising him. You just being in his presence is like, oh my goodness. That you, you just, you kind of get to the end and you say, God, you know my heart. You know my needs better than I do because God's word has transformed your thinking so you know that. So God, I just lay him down in, in front of you who are so worthy who's so powerful, we just, I just pray through all that. See, it, it begins to completely transform the way you pray, and that's what meditating on the, the law of God does. It fleshes it out, it moves it through your mind and into your will and out into your practice. That's what God wants to see have, kind of have happen here. Now, one of the, the best ways that I know of, that works for me anyway, to meditate on the word of God when I'm reading a passage of scripture is just is throw a bunch of questions at it. And you'll have to kind of develop your own personal questions. But here's just an example of some good questions to help you think through, how do I meditate uh, on, on God's Word when I'm reading it? Well, one question that you can ask as you're meditating on God's Word, God, is there a sin here that I need to confess? Have you pointed out something that's an error in my life that I haven't confessed, that I haven't brought to you? God, is there, is there some new promise that I need to claim? Do I need to claim a promise about my identity? Do I need to wrap my mind around this, God? Lord, is, is there, is there some, you know, some example to follow? Did somebody here do something that I need to kind of bring into my life? God, is there a truth to believe? Is there something here that I'm, I've, I've, I've bought into a lie, and I need to believe differently? And see, what you're trying to get the Word of God fleshed out in, into your life. You're trying to get it into the real world of your emotions and your mind and your, your heart. You're trying to move it that way, flesh it out. So you've, you've got to play your part. You've got to know what you need to do in your part of meditating on God's word. But then here's the last thing that you need. And without this, the first two makes no sense. The first two have no power because the last thing you need is to trust in Christ's power for this practice. You need to trust that Jesus is going to empower any of these spiritual disciplines, any of these practices, these grace ways, because he wants you to encounter his grace. He longs for you to encounter his grace. He loves to pour his grace over you, but you've got to get connected to the person of Jesus and the power of Jesus in every spiritual practice, whether it's, it's reading the Bible, whether it's, it's tithing, whether it's, it's, it's meditating on God's word. Now, let me, let me unpack this for just a second. Some of you are probably familiar with an encounter that the prophet Isaiah had. Isaiah, this incredible prophet, wrote all kind of prophecies about the coming Savior. We read a lot from Isaiah during Christmas and just some incredible things. Well, Isaiah, I believe, had this incredible encounter with God because he was meditating. I think Isaiah was meditating on the holiness of God, which is this incredible abstract kind of thing. But then Isaiah has this encounter with God in Isaiah chapter 6. And in Isaiah chapter 6, we read this. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated or sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. His train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. One called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And so there's this great kind of abstract of of God's holiness. Now, if you go on and you read Isaiah chapter six, one of the things that you're going to discover is Isaiah is train wrecked. He's just wrecked when he encounters the holiness of God. It's like, oh my goodness, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people that just we're, we're we're wretched. That's the first thought that Isaiah has when he he begins to meditate on this this word from God, this this holiness of God, and he's he's filled with fear about who he is and what what he stands before God. Friends, the only way that you will not, as you meditate on the law of God, the only way that you will not always fall in fear is only by the power of Jesus The power of his love for you. Knowing the power of his sacrifice for you. Knowing the power of the gospel message of the death, burial, and resurrection, and what it has done for you, what can be true for you. Only then can the holiness of God become something that you delight in thinking about day and night. That's the only way that will happen. How many of you have ever read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7? It's the greatest sermon ever preached. I tell you go there and spend some time in it. When you, if you just first read, if, if you could kind of t- take off all the trappings of you know, everything you've ever heard, every sermon you've heard on it, if you could just purely read it, one of the things that will wreck you is what it says about you. It, the Sermon on the Mount is really just Jesus meditating on the Ten Commandments in many ways. For instance, Jesus will say, you've heard it said of old, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you have lusted in your heart after a woman, you've already committed adultery with her. And Jesus says, you've heard it said of old, do not commit murder. And then Jesus goes on to say, but if you have unforgiveness in your heart towards your brother, you've already killed him. And so we start reading that and we think, Oh, my word. I'm a wreck before God's word. My life is an absolute mess. There's no hope for me. If you just read it purely. Now, when you go to the, the, the Ten Commandments, just the and, and kind of maybe read them as a checklist, you could probably say, It says, Thou shalt not commit murder. Hang killed nobody, check. You let yourself off the hook. Or you read, uh, thou shalt not commit adultery. You say, I ain't slept with nobody else's spouse. You know, check. And so you kind of let yourself off the hook. But when you meditate on those, as Jesus takes us through those, man, the law of God at first wrecks you. It can can have really no other experience with just the pure law of God. It points out our sinful condition. It points out our depravity. It just shows us how broken and messed up every one of us is. It shows us that we carry resentment in our heart for other people, and that's like murdering them. Lustful thoughts, it's like committing a. It's all of these things. And Jesus is drilling down into our heart because that's where Jesus lives, and that's where Jesus works, and that's where he moves. And so Jesus comes to us as only Jesus can, but Jesus does not come to condemn. Jesus comes to bring you life so that you can become a person who delights in the law of the Lord. So how does Jesus do that? Well, in Hebrews chapter 10 we, we see how Jesus moves us this way. And Hebrews 10, says this, verses 1 through 8, uh, just portions of it. It says, the Jewish law is not a full and faithful model of the real things. It's only a faint outline of the good things to come. For this reason, when Christ was about to come into the world, he said to God, you do not want sacrifices and offerings. You are not pleased with animals burnt whole on the altar or with sacrifices to take away sin. And then Jesus said, here am I. To do your will, O God, just as it is written of me in the book of the law. What Jesus is saying here is, I delight in the law of God. I delight in it, Lord. I, I want to give myself over to that. I, I, I delight in it. The law, the, the law is perfect. And so it's almost like Jesus is quoting Psalm 1. He, he's quoting the, the, the beauty of it. And one of the things, if you, if you read and you study the life of Jesus, one of the things you'll quickly discover is this. Jesus, about 10% of the words of Jesus, those red words, are quoting Scripture. He's just constantly talking about Scripture. Even on the cross, he's quoting Scripture. One of the passages of Scripture that he quotes while he's hanging on the cross is Psalm 22. Psalm 22, verse 1, says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That, that comes out of the mind of Jesus while he is in excruciating, agonizing pain. And I believe that Jesus knew the whole psalm, not just that, that first verse. I believe he had all of this in his mind. And when you get closer to the end of Psalm 22, you read these words in verses 14 and 15. It says, I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Jesus submitted himself to become dust, to become chaff, so you wouldn't have to be blown away, so you wouldn't have to be blown far from God. See, apart from Jesus, that's what we are. We're just that that chaff. That's all we are. We can't prosper. We can't be this tree with deep roots that go down deep into his marvelous love, that that living water that only Jesus can bring. But on the cross, Jesus said, I'll take that punishment. I'll become this this chaff so that you can prosper, so that you can build roots down into God's marvelous love, so that you can be substantial and stable. No matter what comes, you, you can find that because you'll come to know when you see that love, that power of Christ, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, that you can plant your life, you can root your life in Christ And you can access that living water that Jesus says he is. And only then will you be able to ever delight in the law of God. And do it night and day. You'll actually be delighted about it when you read. Even those horrible things about who you were apart from Christ. Because now in Christ the penalty has been paid. The power of Christ has been covering your sin in the sight of God if you trust him. This is how we delight in the law of the Lord and joyfully meditate on it day and night when we do it through the lens of who Jesus is and Jesus alone. Pray with me, okay? Father, we just come in this moment. We just want to come and thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your Plan for our lives to flourish. Thanking you that you have given us these grace ways, these practices that we can step into to appropriate even more fully your grace, your goodness, God. We thank you that that's who you are, that you are so good to us. If you're here today, right now, and you've been, you've been trying to read your Bible and, and you end up feeling worse than better, let me suggest that maybe it's because you're not delighting in the power of Christ in the word he's, he's all throughout the, the word he's there in Psalm 1 that, he's that delight, he's the only way that you can delight in the law of God is you first have to delight in him and maybe today, maybe for the very first time you've realized I don't come at God's word through my delight in Jesus maybe today you, wanna, you just want to go to the Father and say dear God I want to come to Jesus right now I want to put my trust in him and let him lead me so I come most of us here have made that decision that decision to make him Lord to to turn from just being that chaff being blown around by trying to do things our own way by walking in the counsel of the the unrighteous by sitting in that seat of scoffing You haven't been doing that, you've been trying to pursue righteousness, but maybe you got caught up in just the law and legalism, and you just need a fresh move of delighting in Jesus, delighting in His beauty, delighting in His grace, delighting in His forgiveness, delighting in the power of His love for you, so that you can experience what it's like to come to the law of God and see its beauty in all the fullness through meditating, through having it fleshed out in you. So, Jesus, we come. We come to declare in these closing moments together your goodness, the goodness of your grace, your mercy for us. We thank you now. We worship you, spirit and a truth.